Well, you should know that as I'm uh, recording this particular episode, I'm actually in my hotel room uh, in Westmoreland, California. I serve this church uh, here in the small town of Westmoreland, and I drive out on Sunday mornings. I'm here all day Sunday, uh, do as much as I can with folks uh, on Sunday, and then I'm here on Monday. We do a Bible study. Uh, I get ready for next Sunday. If I need to meet with anyone on Monday, I do. And then I drive home on Monday night, and then I work from home uh, You know, a couple days later in the week. Um, and usually I, I record my intro and my outro for this podcast here in my hotel room, and that's because I usually record the you know, the interviews uh, earlier in the week or even weeks in advance. However, I have to admit to you, it's Sunday evening and this is going out tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so I'm a little bit behind the eight ball, uh, but I've, I know what, what we're going to be talking about today and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Um, uh, but anyway, I, I want to mention that I'm in my hotel room partly because I have been hearing kids out in the hallway. And if you hear any background noise, well, that's just what it is. And that's okay. Uh, now, uh, I've been working on a book for the last couple of years. Actually, I should say I worked on a book for about a year until about a year ago. And then I got so close to finishing it that I you know, sometimes you get paralyzed near the end of a project. At least that's how I am sometimes. <laughs> and um, uh, and I just kind of put it aside or, or just kind of set it down and didn't really pick it up. And then finally, just a couple of months ago, uh, I said, daggone it, I got to finish this sucker. And so um, finally, I, I had written literally everything except for the conclusion. And so I finally wrote the conclusion and I'm working with someone to uh, kind of help me get it finished uh, and so, uh, I'm looking forward to getting that out sometime soon. I don't have a title for it yet, but the subtitle, uh, tentatively will be something like a handbook for ministry in a post Christendom world. Uh, and that subtitle is important. And we're going to talk about, uh, this idea of post Christendom and Christendom in today's episode. Now, uh, just a little more info on the book. Uh, I'm going to self publish this book partly because I just want to get it out soon. I've waited too long on finishing it. Uh, and I just want to get it out, have something out there. Um, the book is about helping churches participate with God in his mission of restoring shalom in the world. Uh, now, while it doesn't offer a magic formula for getting your church to grow. What it does is it provides a process to help your church, people in your church, discover what God is doing in the world and discover how we might be able to join God in what God is already at work doing in the world. Now, in this episode, uh, I want to talk about one of the topics that I cover in the book, and it has to do with why ministry is harder than it used to be. Why don't people just show up to church anymore, right? That's what they used to do. At least it seemed that way. And there were a whole lot more people in church. Why don't they, why isn't it like that anymore? And why are we, the church and church leaders and people in churches, why are we having such a hard time adapting to this new reality? That's what I want to talk about today. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 31 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Okay, 
I gotta confess, this is actually take number two <laughs> at uh, recording this entire episode, um, mostly because um, I, I literally recorded about 25 minutes of this episode, and uh, it was so loud in the hallway from all these kids running around, which I mentioned right a, a second ago. The, the intro is actually my original intro from before uh, recording uh, you, you know, the, the main content here, but man... I was like, what in the world is going on out there? And I went out. I was kind of like, you know, the grumpy old man in me wanted to go out there and say, come on, kids, knock it off, would you? <laughs> uh, and then I looked out and, oh, it was a birthday party. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give them their time for their birthday party. I'm just going to wait until it's over. They're kids. They're not going to be out till 10 at night tonight. <laughs> right. And so they finished their birthday party. It's quiet in the hallway. And. Here we go. So anyway, I want to start this part of the podcast, this part of the episode by sharing a little story. Um, in my last congregation, I had been there for eight and a half years um, by the time I left. And uh, during that last year, it was, well, it was really hard for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was because it felt like there was just a lot of decline. We had seen a lot of decline over the years, a decline in um attendance, decline in uh, budget. I mean, there was growth. We had a, a lot of kids that weren't there before. We had some younger families that were there before, but it just it wasn't getting bigger. And, and I was scared. And you know why I was scared? I'm going to be totally honest with you. I was scared because I was concerned about myself, partly about my, my reputation. Do I look like a successful or a failed pastor, right? A declining congregation must mean that I'm failing as a pastor. The other concern I had for myself was my salary, right? Um, we had to cut the budget every year, and I knew that it was only a matter of time. Eventually, there would be nothing else to cut. They were going to have to cut my salary, and I didn't want my my salary cut, Right, And so I had this moment where I was walking around in the sanctuary of our church, and I would go for, uh, like, kind of walk around the sanctuary, you know, a couple times a day, not because I'm so spiritual, but because uh, I was trying to get my 10,000 steps for the day. <laughs> um, and I would pray, you know, I would, I would talk to God while I was walking, and I'd pray for the different sections of the sanctuary, the different sections of pews and so forth. Um, but this one day, I was just kind of venting about my frustrations, and I said to God, kind of in this moment of frustration, how do I get more people to show up and how do I get them to give more money? And literally in the next breath, I thought, oh, that's not how I want to think, right? That, that's, that's not what I signed up for. Uh, I don't want to be just about getting people to show up and give money, right? Uh, I want people to experience healing and wholeness. I want to be a part of what God is really doing. And getting people to show up and getting people to give money and getting people to do church stuff, right, so that I look good, so that our church looks good, so that people can point at, you know, Marcus or this church and say, wow, what a great pastor, what a great church. That's, that's not really what I want. Now, the reality is ministry is definitely harder than it was before, right? 
there was a time when you could plant a new church and people would just start coming to that church, right? Especially if it was in a new area that was being built up with new homes, right? All the people who were moving in who were Methodist would go to the Methodist church. All the people who were moving in who were Lutheran would go to the Lutheran church. All the people who were moving in who were Presbyterian would go to the Presbyterian church. That's how churches got started. That's how ministries grew. And you were practically guaranteed to have a growing ministry if you started a church in a part of town that new homes were being built in, right? And all you had to do is provide, you know, what the people were looking for. (laughs) That's not how it is anymore, is it? Because we live in a post-Christendom world, right? We live in a world in which that is not the reality, right? A, a, A culture, a society where people go to church uh, because that's the kind of thing that they do is is part of a Christendom world. Okay, what does that mean? What do we mean by Christendom? Let me kind of explain what that is first. First of all, Christendom is not the same thing as Christianity, uh, right? Sometimes they get used interchangeably, but they are two very different things, right? Christianity is our relationship with God. It is the way that we live in the world uh, to be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's our, a lifestyle of compassion and justice uh, uh, that, is, refl- that reflects the, the life of Jesus, right? That's Christianity. Christendom is essentially that part of the world or that time in history where Christianity is in control of the culture. Uh, in the book Missional Church, uh, which is edited by Daryl Guder, uh, Daryl Guder defines Christendom as the centuries in which Western civilization considered itself formally and officially Christian, right? Formally and officially Christian. Um, it is a culture where everyone is a Christian. Uh, in his book, Canoeing the Mountains, Todd Bolsinger, who I interviewed in episode 16, you can go check that out. He talks about a friend of his who said, you know, when I began my ministry in a church in Alabama, I never worried about church growth or worship attendance or evangelism. Back then, if a man didn't come to church on Sunday, his boss asked him about it at work on Monday. Notice it was a man (laughs) back then, right? But can you imagine that? A A world in which if you don't go to church, your boss asks you about it the next day. That is not the world that we live in anymore, but that's the world of Christendom. Alan Kreider, in his book, The Change of Conversion and the Origin of Christendom, he says, in Christendom, everyone is a Christian, right? Or at least everyone is considered to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, that's an anomaly, right? If you're some other religion or if you're an atheist or something like that, that's an anomaly in a Christendom society. Now, how did this happen? Right? How did Christendom become a reality? Because the fact is that in the first 300 years of Christianity, uh, that was not the church's reality. That was not Christianity's reality. Uh, the church had very little power during the first 300 years of Christianity. Right? You know, uh, the church was persecuted during those first 300 years. Uh, in the in the better years, they were at at you know at best ridiculed or marginalized. But the church had very little power in the first 300 years of Christianity. And then in the year 312 AD, something something happened that changed everything. The emperor Constantine, 
converted to Christianity, right? And that was huge. Uh, what Constantine did was he legalized Christianity when he became a Christian, right? Giving Christianity, as Alan Kreider puts it, a position of privileged equality with other religions, right? A position of privileged equality, right? All of a sudden, the church had power. It had influence, right? And this was a completely new situation. Barry Harvey, in his book, Another City, this is what he says. He says, with the conversion of Constantine, the church faced a new situation for which it was largely unprepared. The same empire that had regularly ridiculed and from time to time persecuted the members of Christ's body was now expressing interest in their story of salvation and its criteria of true universality, even to the point of inviting the church to order the imperial household. Wow! (laughs) Can you believe that? All of a sudden, within a matter of A few years, the church goes from being ridiculed and outcast and persecuted to being invited to order, as Harvey puts it, the imperial household. How would you do things here in the empire, right? That was huge. And just think how that must have felt to those Christians at that time. It must have felt like just an incredible answer to prayer. Finally, I bet they thought, finally, God is, uh, right, the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. God is establishing his kingdom here on earth. Wow. And we get to see it happen. This is it. It's finally becoming a reality, right? But here's what actually ended up happening. When Constantine became a Christian and the church entered into this uh, reality of, of a position of power, it led to a different kind of Christianity, right? Now, the church no longer had a mission. Um, prior to Constantine's conversion, the church absolutely had a mission, right? Their mission was to care for the poor, provide for those who were in need, right? Love those who are unloved, be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, invite people into relationship with the God who created them, right? That was the mission of the church. But now the church no longer had a mission. Why? Because now everyone was or wanted to be a Christian, right? Because Christianity was now the emperor's religion and If you want to be in the good graces of the emperor, you probably ought to convert to his religion, right? Harvey puts it this way. He says, The eventual result of this near fusion of church and empire was the loss of focus on the church's missionary identity. Right? This position of power changed what it meant to be a Christian. Um, Right? Before Constantine's conversion, this is kind of interesting, it was really hard to become a Christian. Um, in other words, you couldn't just say, hey, I, w- I want to be a Christian now. You, you couldn't just go to church, right? People who were not baptized and catechized, right, taught in the ways of Jesus, were not permitted to come to Sunday worship services. That's so much different than it is today, isn't it? Right? Today, we, we say, hey, come to church, come to church. And of course, that's appropriate for a culture. But it wasn't appropriate for theirs. In order to get baptized and just be a part of Sunday worship, 
you had to apply to enter a two-year process of catechesis during which these new converts learned to live Christianly, right? To live like Jesus. And at the end of the two years, they would be examined. Um, But they wouldn't be examined so much in regard to what they knew. It wasn't about their doctrine. It wasn't about their theology. It was about how they lived. How did they treat the poor? How did they treat their family? Did they have integrity in their business dealings? Right, Those kinds of questions. That's what the examination was about. And if they could demonstrate that the way they lived their life was the way Jesus taught us to live our lives, only then would they be baptized and permitted to attend Sunday worship. Right? That's so much different than now. Um, and if this sounds interesting to you, I, I want to refer you to Alan Kreider's book. It's called the, the Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And the subtitle is The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And I'll include uh, a link to that book in the show notes as well as all the other books that I mention. Right? So uh, that's how it was before Constantine converted to Christianity. But here's the crazy thing about Constantine. Constantine was never catechized, right? He never submitted himself to the teachings of the church. I mean, someone probably came and said, here are the things that Christians believe, but he was never catechized. He was never examined. He was never tested as to how he lived his life. And it was only shortly before his death that he was finally baptized, right? And so what this did was it created a new kind of Christianity, right? A Christianity that did not require conversion, not true, deep, inner life conversion, and it didn't require commitment, right? It was a new kind of Christianity. You could just be a Christian in name only, right? That's that's Christendom. That's how Christendom became a reality, Uh, for the West, at least, right? And so for the next 1,500 years, Christianity in the West was in a position of cultural and political power. And there was no need for mission, not within Christendom, right? Mission was something that happened only far, far away in places like um, Africa and Asia and South America. But you didn't need mission for Europe, right? Or North America, eventually, Right, because that's because everybody's a Christian, right? In Christendom, everybody's a Christian. You don't need to do mission in your own culture when everyone is considered a Christian. Now, here's something else that happened as Christendom kind of took hold in in well in European culture. Essentially, um, a new distinction emerged. Right in uh, prior to Christendom, uh, the distinction. Uh, was basically between church and world. And it was the church's mission to be a part of what God was doing in the world, to bring healing and wholeness to the world, to love the poor, to care for the poor, to love their neighbors, to to transform the world and invite people into uh, into relationship with God through Jesus. Right? That was the distinction, though, church and world. And the church was reaching out to the world. But now there was no distinction between church and world. Because the world was the church and the church was the world. And so a new distinction emerged, right? Here's the new distinction. It was between clergy and laity, right? Um, See, prior to Christendom, uh, you didn't need that distinction because every follower of Jesus was on mission with God. 
in Christendom, there's no need to be on mission with God. Uh, right? Only special Christians go on mission, right? and we call them missionaries. But you needed a reason for the church to exist, right? If the church's mission was unnecessary, the mission to uh, bring the world into the kingdom of God, why would you need a church if that, if that mission doesn't exist anymore, at least not here at home, right? So why does the local church exist in Christendom? The reason the church exists is to take care of all the ordinary Christians, right? to take care of all the ordinary Christians. And who's going to do that? The clergy, right? And so the clergy class developed. Their job was to provide for the spiritual needs of the ordinary Christians, right? You had ordinary Christians, the people, and you had special professional Christians, the clergy. The clergy's job was to provide spiritual goods and services for the ordinary Christians. What kinds of services? Well, sometimes it's been summed up in this way. Maybe you've heard this. Hatch, match, patch, and dispatch. Ever heard that? Right? Hatch. You baptize new babies. Match. You officiate people's weddings. Patch. You visit people in the hospital and pray for them when they're sick. And dispatch. You officiate at their funerals. Right? (laughs) Those are the spiritual goods and services that churches have offered for thousands of years. Now, this continued into the 20th century, and we started offering new spiritual goods and services as well. And that's how churches grew in the 20th century, was by providing excellent spiritual goods and services for all of the ordinary Christians that were out there. And the better your goods and services were, Right, services like good preaching, good music, good children and youth ministry, good marriage classes, good whatever. Right, the the better your goods and services, the more likely your church would grow. That's how things worked in a Christendom culture. But that doesn't seem to work anymore, right? Simply providing great spiritual goods and services doesn't seem to cut it these days. Yes, there are some churches that are growing. And yes, they do provide fantastic spiritual goods and services. And no doubt there are some people who are attracted to that. Um, But the reality is that most churches, in the West anyway, and I would say Christianity in general in the West, is in decline, right? And so we no longer live in a Christendom culture. We would live in what I would argue is a post-Christendom culture. Um, right? Christianity no longer holds a place of cultural and political power, not like it used to anyway. Right? And this can be frustrating because we don't know how to exist in a world in which we don't have any kind of influence. Now, I don't think that that's all bad. In fact, I think this is a great gift. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for the church to return to its mission, right? To recover its purpose for existing in the world. And it's not, it's not to provide spiritual goods and services to ordinary Christian. I think that the purpose of the church is to call all Christians to participate in the mission of God in the world. What's God's mission? It's to restore shalom, um, right? to restore healing and wholeness, 
to restore that comprehensive sense of well-being, that comprehensive state of well-being that touches every aspect of life. Right, Spiritual shalom, physical shalom, economic shalom, neighborhood shalom, family shalom, relational shalom. Right, That's what the church exists to do. That's what God calls us to do, to join him, to participate with God in restoring shalom in the world. We lost that in Christendom. I think now is the time for us to recover that in this time of post-Christendom today. So what do we do? I think a couple of things that we need to do. First, we just need to acknowledge the reality of our post-Christendom existence, right? That things are not the way they used to be. Um, And I think the second thing is that we need to be open to God's new ways, whatever those ways are. Here's the thing. I don't know what God's new ways are. Some of you probably do. I mean, I have a few ideas. But I think the reality is that God's new ways are going to be different in every local context and in every every new time, every new era, every new period. And we need to be open. The question is, how, how do we discover what God is doing and what God's new ways might be? And by the way, not saying that God changes but the way God connects with people in the world and restores shalom in the world is new in every generation. How do we how do we be open to what God is doing in the world in this generation? That's the challenge, right? And why do we need to why do we need to do these two things because this is how we fulfill the mission of God. We acknowledge the reality of our post-Christendom world and we open ourselves up to the new ways of God in the world, the new things that God wants to do in the world. This is how we participate with God in fulfilling God's mission in the world. Now, in the book, when that eventually comes out, I lay out a process for how the church can discover that, not a strategy for how to make your church bigger and better, but a a process for how to engage people in your church in becoming aware of what God is already doing out in the world. Maybe I'll talk about that in a future episode. This is the calling. This is, uh, this is the challenge. And to be totally honest, I think we're in a really good place to really, truly be the people and the church that God has created and called us to be. So there you go. Uh, That's why ministry is harder than it used to be. Uh, Okay, well, maybe there's a lot more to it than just that. Uh, But the fact that we live in a post-Christendom world is definitely uh, a significant part of the reason. Uh, Now, just as a reminder, there were uh, five different books that I mentioned. Um, Let me mention them here. There's Missional Church, which is edited by Daryl Guder, Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger, Uh, The Change of Conversion and the Origin of Christendom by Alan Kreider, Another City by Barry A. Harvey, and then The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, uh, also by Alan Kreider. And these are all excellent books. I highly recommend them if you want to learn more about Christendom and or post-Christendom. These are all uh, great books. 
Well, if you'd like to connect with me, uh, you can email me at marcus at marcuswatson.com. That's Marcus with a K, Marcus with a K. Or you can follow me on Twitter at at Marcus Watson. Again, Marcus with a K, M-A-R-K-U-S-W-A-T-S-O-N. I'll be letting you all know as I get closer to the release of this book, hopefully not too long from now. Uh, And I hope that when it is released, uh, that it will be a valuable tool for you as you participate with God in God's mission. Uh, And for those of you that are leaders, uh, as you lead your people to participate in God's mission. Well, thank you. And I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.